want to thank uh, Michael Sylvie for teaching for me last week in my absence. It was a huge blessing for us to be able to be gone, which sounds weird. It was a blessing to be gone from you guys. No, it was a blessing to be able to go back to my home church, celebrate our last Sunday with them. It was a little bittersweet to get prayed out again, um, but uh, it was a really good time of fellowship, and the leaders all came up on stage and prayed for us. And uh, But it was kind of weird being gone because uh, this is home for us now. It has been for eight and a half years, and it felt weird to drive past here and not go to church on a Sunday morning. And so um, anyway, missed you guys and very thankful to be back and excited about this new season. And so um, all that said, they gave me this really cool Bible. The church gave us this, gave me this Bible. It's probably the nicest Bible I've ever had. It's got like goat skin and stuff on it. If you want to smell it after service, it smells amazing. It's like nicer than any couch I've ever had. So anyway, let's get back to the, uh, the point. Exodus chapter 16 um, is a chapter that kind of follows a chapter of just worship. And if you've ever experienced the deliverance of God, um, then you've felt like, man, if there was something I could do to bless God, just to say thank you, uh, worship is the way to do that. And what they did was they had a song that Moses wrote that kind of described what happened in their deliverance from Egypt through the Red Sea, how their enemies who were chasing them to kill them, by the way, and then to recapture them and take them back to Egypt how God delivered them, not only from Egypt itself, but also from the sword of their enemies. And so as he has delivered them, they get to the other side and they have an impromptu worship service. And they just started singing and praising God for all that he had done. And as they get done singing, they have to go back to normal life. It's much like a Sunday morning. We, we come in here, we celebrate Jesus we, we praise God for hopefully all the things we're recounting from the last week of walking with him. And then we leave worship service and we have all these responsibilities and things that we kind of go back to. This is a time set apart just to focus on the Lord. But I would encourage you guys to take a whole day a week to do that. Take one day a week and just celebrate. This is what God has done. But as they're celebrating that and as they finish their uh, you might call it a formal worship service, even though it was impromptu, they have to get back to regular life. And as they get back to regular life, we remember in chapter 15, verse 22, uh, they realize that they've been in the wilderness for three days and they have nothing to drink. They're thirsty. All of a sudden, their appetites start showing up again. And, and in the next chapter, they're going to be hungry. And what do we do about our hunger and our thirst when we're in a desert? It says here that they went into the Sinai wilderness, but the wilderness really is a desert. It's a desolate place. And when they've gone three days and they realize they're thirsty, they show up to Mara. And we recognized last time that Mara was this place where there was water. Awesome. Three days, no water. Look, there's a watering hole. Uh, but somebody, there, there was poison in it. It was, it was bitter to the taste. And so they cried out to Moses, hey, great, now we have water, but now we're going to die in the wilderness because we can't drink it. It wasn't just bitter, it was poisonous. And so God pointed Moses to a tree and he said, throw that tree into the water. And when they threw the tree into the water, it made it sweet and it made it satisfying. Now, the world that we live in, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, should actually, we should recognize more and more that we live in a bitter place. We're surrounded by bitter people. We experience bitter circumstances. But when you look to the cross, which is really what the tree was, and you take that cross, and when it's applied to your life, the things that God provides for us, even the bitter water that he provides for us, should become sweet and not only sweet, but satiating, satisfying. And you don't really appreciate something as simple as water until you've gone without it for a while, until you've been dried out. And then, you know, like on a hot day, maybe you're out mowing the grass and, and you're just in the middle of it. And you're like, I'm thirsty, but I just want to finish up real quick. And maybe you're like me, maybe you're not. And your wife comes out and says, hey, here's a glass of ice water. And in that moment, you're like, oh, 
This is perfect. So you shut off the mower and you just start chugging. And I don't know about you guys, but that is the most satisfying that water is. But when you're not thirsty, you've been drinking other things, water doesn't sound that great. And so God has allowed them to be in a place where they have had nothing to satisfy their hunger or their thirst. And so now that they're thirsty, water seems amazing. And in chapter 16, we'll see that now that they're hungry, anything sounds amazing. And so what I want to point out is that as we begin chapter 16, what we find is that God has taken the Israelites out of Egypt. And we know that in scripture, Egypt is a type of the world, the world and its system, the world and its desires and its lust that rebel against God. But as they've been taken out of Egypt, what we find is that now God has to spend even more time taking Egypt the appetites of the world out of the people. They're out of Egypt, but they still got a lot of Egypt in them. And I don't know about you guys, but if you think about your salvation, the day that you became a follower of Christ, there was this relief and this burden that's taken off your shoulders. But if you've continued to walk with Jesus, hopefully you've recognized that though God has saved me, I'm not what I'm supposed to be yet. I'm not there yet. I have not arrived and so as we enter into this relationship with God, we find out that we're not all that he, has, that he says we already are yet because he's sanctifying it. He saved us, but there becomes this lifelong process of sanctification, which means to be set apart for God's use. He cleanses us. He purifies us. He transforms us by the renewing of our mind so that we're no longer conformed to the ways of the world, but we're transformed as he renews our mind, as he puts us through the cleaner over and over and over again. And he's so patient. He is so patient. He doesn't just give us a quick bath and go, you're good, like I do with my five-year-old when I just want to go to bed. He, he, he gets into the nitty-gritty. He goes down to the details. And as he, he progressively reveals to us who we really are, and then he allows us to be a part of that process so that when we realize, oh man, I thought I was cleansed, and now I've still got this area that I kind of held away from the Lord, and then he cleanses that one too. And so he allows us to be a part of that process. So we talked about where their worship started to fade. But when the tree that they were to look to was thrown into the water, the water became sweet and satisfying. And what we find out is that in verse 26, it says that God sent up a statute or an ordinance, which is the word in Hebrew, Torah. So when the, the Jewish people talk about studying Torah, they're studying something called, what Torah means is instructions, the instructions. And so this is how they were supposed to live. These were instructions to live on earth in a relationship with God, which they had never done before. And so as he sets up this statute, what we find is that when the, the instructions of God are applied to our life, that what we experience in this life becomes sweet and satisfying. And then they go to Elam, which is a place called Strong Trees, in the very last verse of chapter 15. And it says that there in Elam, there was 12 wells, and 70 palm trees. Well, Elam means strong trees, so that's where we get the palm trees. But what's interesting is that in the New Testament, Jesus picks 12 disciples. And, and he said about those that would hear his instructions, that would obey them, that would follow him, that wh whoever believes in me, out of him will come rivers of living water, a well of fresh water. So here in Elam, now that they've applied the instructions, life has become sweet and satisfying as they trust in the one who's going to provide for what they need. They meet up with the 12 wells. And you and I in the New Testament, we get to draw from the wisdom in scripture that's been written by the 12 apostles, 12 wells to draw from that God has left faithfully for us. That's why we study the word of God. And yet the 70 palm trees I believe are in there to typify what Jesus would do when he sent out the 70. He said about two by two, and he said, go, I, I give you my authority to preach the gospel, to heal the sick. And so those 70 palm trees are trees that we get to rest under the shade of and then follow in their example 
to be like Psalm 1 says, like trees planted by the rivers of living water who will produce fruit in their season. And so chapter 16, verse 1, they journeyed from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Now, this is not the English word sin. It's not a wilderness full of sin. They arrive in a wilderness in the Sinai Peninsula. So it's just an abbreviation. Even then, they were abbreviating things. And so they, they went to the wilderness of Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai itself, on the 15th day of the second month after they, after they departed from the land of Egypt. And so they arrived there a month after they left Egypt. So they've been on their own for a month now. They're still in their infant stages as a nation, which I love this because as they are immature in faith and as they're learning to walk, there the Lord is staying right beside them, doing what parents do when their children learn to walk, putting out their hands and and giving them something to, to lean on. And the expectation is there that they would learn to walk and eventually the, the training wheels come off. But for now, God is carrying them with kit gloves and making sure that they have their needs supplied. And we're going to find out today that even when they complain, God becomes gracious and merciful. And he says, okay, then I'm going to rain down what you need upon you. So the congregation, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It's interesting that as they remember back on Egypt where they used to live, that they remember how great it was. And yet, if you remember in the first chapter of Exodus, it says there came a new king over Egypt, a new pharaoh. And their first thing to do in the book of Exodus was to cry out to the Lord, Lord, when are you going to deliver us from these who have enslaved us? And now they remember back on Egypt and they remember fondly. Isn't it funny how our memories only remember the good stuff, which is good in some cases, but we remember our lives in the world. We need to remember them rightly. Because they, they don't remember the bondage. They don't remember the beatings. They don't remember that they were probably not fed as well. They weren't sitting by the pots of meat. That was those who were beating them. They weren't fed to the full. They were used and abused until finally God delivered them. And yet what they do is they complain against Moses and say, you brought us out here to starve us to death. We're starving. And then the Lord said to Moses, not, hey, they're not thankful. They're complaining. They could wait another day. Instead, it says in verse four, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you should complain against us? And also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him, What are we? Your complaints are not against us, but they're against the Lord. So this is their second test after having moved into the Sinai Peninsula. And the test is, will they walk in my ways? Will they trust me for their provision? So he says there in verse six and seven, evening and morning, you shall know the Lord has brought you here. It wasn't Moses that brought them there. It was the Lord. So why are we in this uncomfortable situation again? because God wills it. God wanted you there. He's got a reason for it. And so you shall know that the Lord has brought you here, not us, and you will see his glory. Now notice verse seven through eight. He hears your complaints. Did you know that God hears your complaining? 
Now, right now, God's going to be gracious. He's going to hear their complaints, and he's going to feed them. But further in their history, when they complain in the book of Numbers, when complaining becomes their habit, burying will become what they have to do as a result of it. They will die complaining. They they will suffer because of their disobedience. But for now, he says to them simply, when you complain, you're really complaining against the Lord. And I would say that to you and to me. When we find ourselves complaining, instead of calling out to the Lord for him to provide for us, we're not complaining against our boss. We're not complaining against our family or our spouse. We're actually complaining against God. God, you're not giving me what I deserve. But if you really think about it, that's actually his best trait. God's not giving us really what we deserve. And if you have a realistic biblical view of who you are without Jesus, saying you're not giving me what I deserve would be a praise song, not a complaint song. And so he hears your complaints. They're against the Lord and they're not against Moses and Aaron. Now, knowing your complaints, guess what God's going to do for you? He's going to reward you. You don't know yet that you need to not complain. It's almost like babies. What do babies do in order to get food? They do what we hate. They cry incessantly, sometimes even while you're feeding them. They get so upset that when you give them what they want, they they won't slow down and go, oh, wait, I'm getting what I need. And that's what's happening with the Israelites. They're crying out. They're complaining. God gives them what they need, and they're not going to learn to stop complaining for a while. But they're also going to, in that, just like a baby, learn that these, these people that I've been brought into their world and who are bigger than me and who seem to not pay attention enough to me, I can trust them because when I cry, they, they show up and they at least try. And for God, he doesn't just try. He gives us exactly what we need, even though it's not always what we want. And so in verse 9, Then Moses spoke to Aaron and said, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it's possible that they, hearing the word, Hey, come near, are not thinking they're going to have what they need. They might be thinking they're going to get chastised. I don't know. I know for me, many times when someone says, hey, I need to talk to you in my office, I don't think, oh, they're probably happy with me. I think, uh-oh, what'd they do this time? And so they show up, and it says there, <clears throat> he has heard your complaints. Verse 10, now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and he's going to deliver the message that Moses has given him, that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, now that's just a Bible word that says, hey, look closely, pay attention. Uh, behold, it says, while Aaron was speaking to them and they looked toward the wilderness, that the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The glory of the Lord. So what, what did God use to lead them through the wilderness so far? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So there's a cloud that they were looking to And God's going to speak a specific word to them. And while he's speaking the word through Moses, the glory of the Lord himself shows up in the cloud to confirm this is in fact a word from me. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 11, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. So it seems to me that the Lord is speaking specifically to the children of uh, to Moses in front of the children of Israel because this is a very important word i have heard the complaints of the children of israel therefore speak to them saying at twilight or dusk you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that i am the lord your god so the lord responds to their complaining by showing up personally god with us emmanuel He says to them, I have heard what you have said. And then he gives them their menu. You said you're hungry. Here's a menu. You will have quail in the evening. You will have bread in the morning. But know this, I'm providing these things so that you will know that I am the Lord your God. 
that I'm your shepherd. I know your needs. And by the way, God does know our needs, but he actually delights to hear from us when we confess to him that we need him. Did you know that? I think a lot of people struggle with prayer because they're like, well, God knows what I need, so I don't really have to say it. And by the way, you don't have to. But there's a blessing involved in the conversation. Don't neglect to ask God for what you need. So turn to John chapter 6. Sorry, I'm going to finish up 13 through 15, and then we'll go to John chapter 6. So it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And so in John chapter 6, there was another group that was experiencing the provision of God from heaven, of bread from heaven. And when Jesus came down to the earth and started telling people that he was in fact Messiah, he was the king, they weren't saying, what is it? They were going, how can this be the Messiah? Wasn't he supposed to be? And then fill in the expectation that they had of the Messiah. If God told you that he was going to rain down bread from heaven, would you expect the components to make bread? Or would you expect a loaf of steamy, warm bread? They expected something that God didn't provide. He provided something that they didn't expect. And so they looked at it and they're like, what is this? Which means they had to wait for further instruction. Jesus comes down to the earth and starts proclaiming to them in very creative ways, I am the bread that you seek. I am the thing that's going to give you eternal life. I'm the person. I am the bread. And they were like, how can this be? Which means they needed further instruction, which is why Jesus spoke to them and taught them the ways of the kingdom, because he was telling them, this is what you are to do with my son. And so here we have, in John chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and on the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. Remember, he, he took the loaves that the little boy had given him. He broke the loaves. He gave thanks for the loaves, and then they were all fed. And so when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats, and they went where Jesus went, naturally, right? They went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. So they went to the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And it's interesting, many times they asked Jesus questions, and then he would not answer their question, but he would answer the better question. When did you come here? And then Jesus said, verse 26, most assuredly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You ate the bread that I made. You ate the bread from heaven. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Don't follow me because I can feed you. Caesar could do that in their day. You know, many times people would worship Caesar because he gave them the bread and he gave them the show. And so they would do whatever he said. Don't follow me for that reason. These are the things that only the Gentiles, the non-believing world, seek after. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, said, don't spend your whole life trying to figure out what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, which is what Israel's doing in Exodus right now, right? They're all worried about what what are we going to eat? Where are we going to live? What are we going to drink? How are we going to survive? And and Jesus says to these people that he's speaking to, he says, don't labor for food, which perishes but labor for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. 
And then he said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Okay, you've told us how to receive life, but how do we work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work. You want to know how to work the works of God? Simply believe in him whom he sent. And if you say, well, I can't work the works of God because I I believe in him, but I don't have any power. Jesus said, why do you say you believe me and yet you don't do the things that I've told you to do? You want power, just simply hear and respond in faith and obedience. He says, therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? How are you going to confirm that you are in fact the Messiah? What work will you do? How will you prove yourself? And then they give an example from the Old Testament. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. So they're referring to our text today. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now they thought that Moses, their forefather of the faith, was the one that provided the bread. And so Jesus quickly corrects them and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What are we studying in Exodus? When God sends bread from heaven to give them physical life. So the Old Testament all the time has these truths about how God met their physical needs to prove that he could meet their spiritual needs. And yet in the New Testament, we see Jesus as the one. It says, verse 33, for the bread of God, this is the bread of God. He who comes down, Jesus Christ, he's the bread. He comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Are we supposed to eat him and stay alive forever? No, we eat of him and we live eternally in the spirit. And so... This is where they find themselves. Verse 16, back in Exodus. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. So he's giving them bread, he's giving them quail, but he's going to give them instructions on how to relate and how to use these resources. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person, which we'll find out is... At the end of the chapter, spoiler alert, verse 36 says, an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Great. What does that mean? It's 9.3 cups. And so 9.3 cups that they would gather per person in order to bake enough bread or boil enough or fry it or however they made it, they made it multiple ways because they're going to eat it a lot. They found lots of ways to make it. So when they measured it, Excuse me, where was I? The children of Israel did so and gathered, verse 17, some more and some less. But they were to gather it according to the number of persons, verse 16. He says, let every man take for those who are in his tent. So gather enough for you and for your household. So when you're studying the word of God, look at it like you're gathering bread that leads to life eternally. Gather enough for you. And then if you're ahead of a household, If you're a parent, if you're somebody that has influence over your friends, gather enough for those who are around you. Gather enough bread for everybody. Jesus is the supplier. Then the children of Israel did so, and they gathered some more and some less. And when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. So he who gathered enough or, and more didn't have any left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. So if you gathered enough or too much, you didn't have too much. You had just enough. And if you didn't gather enough, God made up somehow miraculously so you had plenty. And this is a gift of supply. Every man gathered according to each one's need. So if you feel like in your walk with the Lord, you're not at a spot where when you read the word, I don't feel like I'm gathering that much bread. He'll make up for the increase. That's his grace. We need it daily. I would just say, get up, start gathering. However much you can gather, it'll be enough. And so Moses said, verse 19, let no one leave any of it until morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. Imagine that. They didn't didn't listen to Moses. Don't leave any until morning. 
Well, he didn't give them the why, and therefore they had to test him. So they didn't listen, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Before we get there, I wanted to talk about real quickly how God provided exactly what they needed. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 47, we see the beginning of the church. God pours out his Holy Spirit. And a sign of this is they start to gather regularly to study the word of God, the apostles' doctrine. They gathered to eat together, to celebrate communion, and to pray, to fellowship, to be around one another, and to pray. But what's interesting is as a result of that, everyone had everything in common. Now, this wasn't because they said, okay, you all have to share now. So if you have too much, you need to share with so-and-so. And if they come to school and they don't have what they need, then, then you need to make sure that they have enough because you have enough or too much. This wasn't a, a statute. This wasn't something that was forced. As a natural result of fellowshipping together, studying the word together, praying for one another, what happened is that Everyone had enough stuff, and so they would pray for one another, and they had all things in common. They didn't consider their stuff to be their own anymore. They considered it to be for the common good. So if they gathered up too much, if God provided too much for them in their jobs, and they had leftovers, they wouldn't just let it sit in their garage. They would sell it, and they would take the benefit of it, whatever monetary or physical increase they got, and they would give it to the people that didn't have enough. So in God's kingdom, what he says is, we don't need a welfare system that's imposed upon you with taxes. I want you to be for the welfare of your neighbors. (laughs) Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And so there's, again, this miraculous, that's miraculous. When people are willing to do that, that's just like the way he provided bread for them in the wilderness. So God says, no leftovers. They don't listen. The bread then rots overnight and it breeds worms so sorry for the nasty picture but that's what happens when god gives us something and we don't use it properly or we try to hold it to ourselves it starts to stink and if you've ever owned enough property that you have to pay property taxes on it and then you don't have the time to use it anymore and it sits in the garage or whatever what happens is eventually rust destroys it or moth kills it and and tears it down. Jesus says, therefore, don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead store up your treasures in heaven. And the one way you can do that is by either giving it to somebody that can use it before it goes bad or by selling it and letting God use the increase. But then he says, let no one leave any till morning. And they didn't, and it stinketh. Verse 21, so they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. So this bread had a shelf life. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much. So God did a miracle. He provided double what they needed, twice as much bread, two omers for each one. So what, 18.6 cups. Uh, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, hey, there's, there's double what we need. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. So they're coming to Moses going, hey, why is there this extra meal out on the ground? And, and the Lord says, uh, this is what the Lord has done. Tomorrow is a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today. Boil what you will boil, lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until the morning. And you could imagine their pushback. I don't know. The last time we did that, it really started to stink. So they laid it up till morning. This took faith. Baby steps, right? As Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. And Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today, you will not find it in the field. So why did God provide double on the sixth day? Because on the seventh day, he wasn't going to provide any, and they would still have some. And so on the six days, you will shall gather it. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, there will be none. Now, verse 27, it happened 
that some heard this, and they went on the Sabbath day to gather anyway, but they didn't find any. They labored with no increase. And if you've ever worked seven days in a row, you know that you're so exhausted many times, you're there, but you're not able to produce much because you're exhausted. And so the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. They didn't have to gather a thing. The Lord provided miraculously so they didn't have to work. Now, you might be saying, well, how do I apply that to my life? I don't get to pick my schedule. You're a pastor. You only work one day a week. Of course, you got a day to rest. And I will say for every human being on earth, the temptation is to think that we have to work seven days a week. Now, for some of you, your boss says you must needs work seven days a week. And for that, I just say, pray and ask the Lord to change that for you. Or maybe uh, the Lord's calling you to a different job. I don't know. I know that it takes faith to Sabbath. I also know that the New Testament teaches us that every day is a Sabbath. That when we labor, we labor from a place of rest because God's promised to provide for us. He's promised to take care of us. He's promised that even, you know, he's, he's, he's the one that provides. If anything goes bad and we lose our job today and our family starves to death, guess what happens? When we die, we go to heaven. The battle's won. But there, there's a very real need, Right? We want to be good stewards and we want to be a good witness to our coworkers. And so how do we work this all out? And I would say to you, if God gives you one day where you can rest and you don't, that's on you because he has provided double what you need so that you don't have to work that day. I promise it's a scriptural principle. He's provided what you need to rest. The question is, will you? Because we have this tendency to think, if I stop one day, the world will stop spinning as I know it, and then what? But that's the blessing of the seventh day's rest. God created on six days, right? And on the seventh day, he rested. He literally keeps the world together. He does. And he still rested on the seventh day as a principle for you and I that if we will take that same maintenance schedule, we won't burn out we won't burn out. And so I would encourage you, take one day a week, whatever day the Lord gives you, ask him to provide. Maybe the step of faith for you is to say, Lord, I don't have a day where I can just stop and be and trust. Please give me a day and I'll take advantage of it. Now, beware, he's going to give you the day and then you're going to be tempted not to take advantage of it. You're going to go out to gather anyway. Don't. And so Jesus was tempted in the same way, by the way. He went out to the wilderness. Imagine this. Sounds familiar? Children of Israel are in the wilderness. And then while he's out there, he fasted for 40 days. And when he fasted, it was at the will of the Lord to do so. On the 40th day, Satan shows up to tempt him. He says, if you're the son of God, turn this rock into a loaf of bread. Turn a rock into a loaf of bread. And Jesus, knowing his law, knowing his Torah, his instructions, quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every instruction that comes from the word of God. And so the instruction, here's how I'm to, to interact with bread. Here's how I'm in, to interact with the dough God provides. A man doesn't live by bread alone, but he also interacts with that bread based on the instructions given by God, just like here in Exodus chapter 16. So the principle is we need to worship the giver and not what he gives. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Paul picks up on this same thing. He says, the kingdom of God is not about meat and it's not about what we drink, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy. And if you're all spun up, all the time trying to figure out how you're going to provide for your family and and you forget that God's the one that does it, then you're not going to have any peace 
And you're not going to live righteously because you're going you're to compromise anything you can do to make money. The kingdom of God is not about meat. It's not about drink, but it's about righteousness with the Lord. It's about peace and the joy in the Holy Spirit. He's going to take care of it. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says this. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights. And the Father of lights doesn't change, is what he's basically saying. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. God is the gift. He is the gift giver. And he, everything that we need, he will send down from heaven. And so maybe some of you aren't worried about providing for your families, but maybe someone in here struggles with feeling like that they got to provide their own salvation eternally. Maybe you're someone here that's been laboring your whole life to prove to God that you're good. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I, I don't cuss, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. And, and you've got this moral standard that you've set up to prove your righteousness to man, and to prove your righteousness to God. And maybe this word of rest isn't so much about providing food, but you're, you're, you're exhausted from trying to provide your own righteousness. And I would say to you today that as we get ready to take communion, God has provided the only way for you to be saved. And the only way to be saved is for you to be still, to recognize you can't do it, and to partake of the bread that he's dropped down from heaven. He didn't just drop it haphazardly, by the way. He sent him. He sent himself as the bread. The only way for us not only to be sustained, but to be delivered from death eternally. And so the word of God here in Exodus chapter 16 now describes, they said, what is it? And he's getting ready to tell them what it's like. Verse 31 the house of Israel called its name manna. And so Moses says, it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So it was kind of like what I would describe as a graham cracker, or maybe graham cracker isn't exciting enough for you when they baked it or boiled it or fried it, probably fry it, it's going to be a little bit more like Krispy Kreme. <laughs> Who doesn't like Krispy Kreme? And so whether or not it was, that's not the point. The point is, is that it wasn't just bread, but it was sweet bread, maybe like Hawaiian rolls. Except what we find out is that it's laying on the ground, not as a loaf of bread, but it's laying there as basically like grain to crush, kind of like Jesus was crushed so that we could partake of his body and receive salvation. But it came in this small, meek, almost irrecognizable unless you heard the word from Moses who said, I'm going to provide you bread. You might look at it and go, it's just dust on the ground. What is it? Much like Jesus, when he showed up on the scene in the New Testament, they were like, who's this guy? Is he the one? Even John the Baptist, his cousin, was doubting and going, are you the Messiah or not? They almost missed him. As a matter of fact, by and large, all of Israel did miss him. There are many Jews who believed in the early church, but by and large, the Jews despised him because he wasn't what they thought he would be. If you think about it, bread is kind of a common thing. We take for granted bread. As a matter of fact, it's just like one of the things we grab while we're getting other stuff. And when I was growing up, we would eat some sort of casserole every night and then bread with butter on it, just kind of just filler which I, it's just so funny because now we, everybody's like, oh, too many carbs. I'm like, that's all we ate growing up. I don't know what you guys are eating, but what else is there? Noodles and bread. But here, bread is everything. It's, it's high in calories. It's high in carbohydrates because that's all you're eating, folks. They didn't have protein shakes. They had what grew out of the ground and then they'd crush it up and they would eat it and it would sustain, it would stick to their ribs, as my mom used to say. And so then 
they recognize what it's like, but then he gives them instructions on not only what to do with it now, but to do with it, what to do with it for the future. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept. So keep some back for your generations that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it essentially uh, some sort of Tupperware, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept as a witness of what God did and what he's going to do in the future. See, all these things are types pointing forward to the Messiah who would be our bread. And the children of Israel ate manna, look at this, 40 years, the same thing every day until they came to an inhabited land they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of canaan and the day they walk into canaan god stopped providing the manna from heaven and then he tells us one tenth of an ephah is an omer but what i want to point out is that the word of god what it's like is it's sweet to the taste it's sustaining it, it keeps us alive spiritually. We're to come to the table over and over and over again. And then keep some. Keep some to remember him by. Keep some for future generations. Pour it into their lives. Let it be a testimony. Share what he has done through his word in your life with future generations. And notice this. The trip they took from Israel from Egypt to Canaan, where God promised to take them, should not have taken 40 years. We're getting a foretaste of their disobedience in the wilderness. They end up wandering in circles because of unbelief. The Lord says, go into the land. And they said, I don't know. There's giants there. And there's fortified cities. And the Lord had said, I'm going to put you in there. And they said, but we can't. They weren't supposed to. He said he would. But when even in their disobedience, even in their unbelief, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years and the bread that God gave them sustained them. You know what happens on ships or what used to happen on ships when they would cross the Atlantic to come over here from Europe? If they had to eat the same thing over and over again and didn't have any like fresh fruit or plants or anything to eat, you know what would happen to them? They would suffer from malnutrition. They would get what the pirates would call scurvy. And they would have all these medical problems because they were just eating the same thing over and over again. But the word of God isn't like that. The word of God has all the right vitamins and nutrients in it that even if you eat it the rest of your life and that's all you eat, perfect. Perfect for our sustenance. Food pyramid, don't eat it. Just eat the manna. And so let's go to Colossians as we close. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Putting all of the focus on the word of God, which is meant to represent Jesus, the manna, the bread from heaven. Paul writes here, he says, It pleased the Father that in Jesus we might substitute manna. It pleased the Father that in the manna all the fullness should dwell in Jesus. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, offering up the body of Jesus. And you, and you should read this as you, I'll read it as me, but you read it as you. You who once were, past tense, alienated and enemies in your mind by your wicked works. Maybe some of you today, that's you now, not past tense. Yet now, if you're willing to believe in the one whom he sent and partake in the bread that he dropped from heaven, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and to present you blameless and above reproach in his sight, holiness to the Lord, if indeed you continue in the faith, 
There's that, there's our responsibility. He will present you blameless if indeed you continue in the faith. If indeed you continue to eat from his table, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so this morning, we've talked a lot about bread. And this morning, we're going to eat bread. But this bread is not Jesus. It's only to remind us where our sustaining power comes from. It doesn't come from the news. doesn't come from your friends. doesn't come from your spouse or your parents. It doesn't come from your hobbies. It doesn't come from your day off unless it comes from Jesus. He's the only source of true, righteous, peace-filled, joy-filled life. And if you're experiencing a lacking of any of those things, it's because you're not eating him. And so, Father, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your word, which is perfect. Psalms say that the word of God is perfect, converting the soul. No longer transforming can no longer conform to the ways of this world. But now, by faith, as we partake of you, we are being conformed, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we then, by our example, how we live can prove that which is your reasonable service and the perfect will of God. And so, <clears throat> Lord, this morning, I pray that you would do that work in our lives. We have been taken out of the world and yet we still got a lot of the world in us. And so, Father, take us back to the source. Maybe we've been eating or drinking from the wrong source even this week, maybe even yesterday or this morning. Father, I pray that the sources that the world provide become bitter to us and that the cross becomes sweet to us as we recognize who we really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.